Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. The cybersecurity industry is increasingly worried about the risk of burnout among its members. Stress is a problem that's not new to the IT or security industries. But with cybersecurity professionals facing growing workloads and potentially fewer resources, and this coming despite the increasingly complex and risky threat landscape, the pressure is growing on everyone. This is having an impact on mental health and potentially on the effectiveness of security teams. The Chartered Institute of Information Security has just completed some research which gives an idea of the scale of the problem. Over half of professionals surveyed have left a job due to overwork or burnout, or know someone who has. And over 80% say that security budgets are not keeping pace with the threat. Joining us now from the Institute is its CEO, Amanda Finch. Amanda, thank you for joining us. No, my pleasure. Amanda, why are you picking up, and I know you're not alone in saying this, but why are you picking up this question of burnout among cybersecurity staff? What's prompted you to highlight that? It's been a trend that's been going on for a while, um, is that because we have a shortage of professionals in the industry, people are obviously trying to do as much as they can with uh, the the limited resources that they have. Um, And it's one of the um, items that we brought up in our recent um, profession uh, survey that has just been released. And uh, what we were looking at is career stress, overwork and burnout. And I think that uh, what we've, we've seen is, is quite a significant trend, is that um, there's, there's an increasing focus on the scourge of mental in- illness. And therefore, we felt that it was important to try and sort of dig, dig in and understand a little bit more about it. Is there, in your view, a distinction between stress and burnout in cybersecurity and more widely in IT? Um, I think they are linked. We're all pretty good at coping with levels of stress. Um, I think that's the nature of the the industry. But uh, I think that when that is carried out over a continual period, that's when it leads to burnout. Yeah, because there's this perception anyway that security people are always uh, fighting an ongoing battle. There isn't much. Um, there isn't much respite from uh, the the threats that the organisation face. So as soon as you've dealt with one crisis, it's often moving on to another. Um, is that a true picture, though? Is that actually how the job works in practice? Well, I th- it depends on where you're working within the profession because it's such a, a broad breadth of um, of disciplines. Um, so if you're working more on the front line, then yes, it's going to be more stressful. But I think what we have to do is that we have to look at some of the factors that are be- behind it is that um, everyone's generally being asked to do more with less and that um, stress and burnout could be related to funding um, of uh, projects. Um, I mean, 82% of the respondents that we had from our survey said that uh, budgets were not keeping pace with the rising level of threats. Um, So uh, they're being made to do more with less. Um, And uh, 64% of their businesses said that they simply hoped to get by with uh, fewer resources when necessary. So there's definitely that trend of being made to do more with less, which is is uh, obviously putting people under uh, more stress. 
Is this something that organisations are aware of? Are they seeing these problems and potentially putting in some measures to deal with them? Um, I, I think it depends very much on the organisation. Um, if you look at the, the recent things with COVID, um, that a lot of organisations are going to be put under even more pressure um, after this point, um, that uh, a lot of the teams that we've been talking to are expecting more pressure in 2020. Um, as uh, COVID has uh, and its aftermath will have a profound effect on businesses. Um, but we're seeing large organisations seeing swinging budget cuts. So that's obviously going to come down to um, the security function as well. So again, it's this coming back to having to do more with less uh, whilst still addressing the issues of burnout and the risks will still be rising and, and organisations are going to suffer. It's interesting to see in the research as well uh, that the way organisations or teams are dealing with this. For example, you cite that about half of organisations are letting uh, routine or non-critical tasks slip, uh, this just not prioritising certain things. Does that store up potentially further problems in the future, though? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because if you're constantly firefighting and trying to do more with less and with people burning out, um, you're, you're just uh, waiting for a ticking time bomb. And then sometimes these problems, potentially, I don't know um, whether you would agree with this, but sometimes these problems can actually build up. So something that's not a priority yes. at the moment creates a, a technical debt or a security debt, which becomes a big problem later. Yeah, no, absolutely. Completely agree with you. So how uh, how do organisations go about compensating for this? Because, again, something that the research highlighted is uh, organisations are um, potentially running on smaller teams at the moment. Uh, they're running on smaller teams during holidays or other busy periods. And that, in turn, not only increases stress on the individuals and the potential for human error, uh, but it can actually make the organisation more vulnerable. It's a really tricky one because everybody's trying to drug, juggle by like mad with this. Um, but what people need to do or what organisations need to do is that they need to try and minimise the threat of burnout. So um, a, a lot of it comes back to making sure that people have got the right training, the right skills and giving them the help to reach their potential and putting people in the right roles for them. Um, I think that people often think of this as being a technical problem, um, but it, it actually reaches out further than that. So uh, what organisations need to do is to look at the types of people that they need in their function, because it's not just technical skills. Um, you can bring other people into the function um, that are less technical, that will help to support and uh, provide security-focused cultures that can help cope with the pressures. So it's, it's investing in people very much and investing in their development um, and uh, really monitoring it so that you're actually identifying whether people are coming to that point where they're getting stressed um, and being able to take them out of the loop slightly um, so that they, they don't burn out. So there's a few elements to this. So this could operate at a number of tiers. One then is potentially having yeah. more resources in the security team. Uh, another is spreading the responsibility for security more broadly across the organisation. So it's not just the technicians trying to firefight, but actually building in security awareness, training and those type of things. Um, do we see companies doing that? Is that helping? Um, I think it, it's, it's, it's a yes and no question to that. Um, the more sophisticated companies um, are realising the value 
um, of um, behavioral factors and, um, uh, and, and developing security cultures, um, that we're seeing a lot more emphasis um, in that uh, in certain areas. Uh, and that is a, a very cost-effective way of dealing with things because if you create a security culture, you're actually embedding that into the whole of your workforce rather than relying on a handful of specialists uh, to deliver that for you. And within the security teams themselves, what about rotating people around different roles? So moving people, for example, into development rather than, say, threat response, which could be a bit of a break from the firefighting, give them a chance to uh, to restore themselves and recharge themselves, and also ensuring that they have access to professional development as well, which can actually be very helpful here. Professional development is absolutely key to this because uh, people tend to stay in roles if they feel that they're being valued, they're getting the opportunity to develop, uh, try new things, um, and sort of explore, you know, their, their possibilities. So not only does it build a much stronger security function if people are rotated into um, other areas, uh, obviously ones that they're interested in, you don't want to put brown pegs into square holes. But um, the, if you look at the range of skills that you need to be able to uh, work within uh, information security. A lot of those can be transferred to other areas. So the more that you can develop people and uh, allow them to um, uh, be in charge of their own destiny to a certain extent, uh, rather than being on a treadmill, uh, the stronger the function will be, the more likely people will be to stay with you. And actually, that's good business at the end of the day, because the costs of recruitment are really high, um, as um, are um, trying to cover when you've got shortfalls within within a function. So how does the industry create the time, the breathing space to step back a little and look at the people it's got, look at how to maximise their effectiveness and actually support them? Because again, if we're constantly in a crisis mode, and we certainly are in a crisis mode at the moment, that's really hard to do. It is hard to do, but um, it, it's something that's necessary. Um, something that we've developed um, is a capability, de- de- capability development methodology. And that um, helps organisations to look at the capability that you've already got. Um, and that doesn't have to be a massively intensive exercise. What you can do is you can look at the types of skills that you've got within your organization, within your security function already, and look at really your roadmap of what you would like to have. Now, in many ways, uh, organizations have got a lot of the skills already within the organization. They just need to develop them further. So by benchmarking what you have already, you can look at how you can build on that capability that you have, um, look at maybe where other areas of the business that you can bring people across from, because it's it's very helpful to bring people um, in from uh, the other sectors of the business. They bring business knowledge with them. And there are certain areas that you can train people up fairly quickly to be very, very supportive and take some of the pressure off other people. Um, then um, once you've looked at those aspects, then obviously there will be areas that you want to buy um, resource in, um, either on a contract basis or um, uh, 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 as, as uh, developing uh, further professionals within your team. But um, it's really taking that time to just step back a little bit. Um, and it doesn't have to take a long time to do that it can be a quite a quick exercise to do it. 
are there any particular areas that companies should look at first in terms of bringing people in? Well, I think that the the uh, strongest area for that would be things like behavioural change. Um, is that if you can bring in people that can um, be risk advisors on policy and things like that, uh, you can p- bring those across from other areas of the business. So um, it could be somebody that's worked in... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of a good example now, really. Um, but if you take something like banking, um, you've got the situation where um, branches are being cl- closed down, but you've got a, a fantastic wealth of people that understand the business that might want to transfer into um, a, a security um, environment. And um, you can they understand what the, the business is trying to achieve. Um, and you can help them to explain policy to people. Um, similarly, if you've got uh, communications departments, um, they would make fantastic um, behavioral change specialists because they understand about how to um, uh, convey messages to people so that um, they they take on board the messages. So again, you you can take people in from those areas. Um, Project managers um, can make very good risk managers. There's a lot of transferable skills that can be taken across and ported across quickly that can be upskilled with mapping knowledge onto that and to um, uh, really take some pressure off some of the specialists. And this probably applies more widely, actually, than just security. It probably applies to the whole of a, a business's digital team because, again, yeah. bringing people in from the front line of the business will help them understand where potentially the weaknesses are and also uh, where they could drive improvement. Absolutely. And I think that um, the COVID-19, um, well, the recent changes that we've seen um, COVID-19 put on businesses and the way that they work um, can be taken forward into this environment because we all need to sort of think differently about how we do things. Another aspect of this, though, that is highlighted in your survey is retention. So whilst it's all well and good bringing more people in and given the skill shortage, that's going to be pretty important. It's going to be increasingly important, actually, as we go forward. But it's much cheaper to keep the people you have than bring in new people. But it seems that companies aren't necessarily providing the most conductive working environment to their security professionals. What's driving that thinking? Why are your respondents saying that, do you think? Um, I think that, again, a lot of that is down to um, really people needing to take time out to actually um, analyse what is needed, um, is that um, we've done some analysis on why people leave and why people stay. And really, if people are happy and enjoying what they're doing and they get feel that they're being developed, that those are the sort of factors that make people want to stay, that they've got opportunity to grow, they've got opportunity to um, develop their careers. Um, bad management um, is, is a, a factor for people leaving. And um, if you look at traditionally, um, IT has uh, tended to promote people that have technical backgrounds um, into managerial roles, and they may not be the best people to manage that particular team. So it's really getting the balance right of the team so that you are motivating people and that they are feeling valued, and and that will make people stay. And if they're seeing that development, so as you quite rightly say, Stephen, that um, it's expensive to recruit people, um, it's expensive to um, fill the gaps um, with possibly contract staff if uh, you have got those shortfalls. So the more you can encourage people to stay 
um, the, the more cost effective the um, the function will be. Indeed. And another aspect, though, to this, in the industry, we have quite a lot of freelance and contract staff and people working for micro businesses. They may not have or unlikely to have the resources for development and things like mental health support that are an option in larger companies in the public sector. So is there anything that organisations such as yours can do to provide some of that support or gateways to that support for individual practitioners? Um, we can provide support. I mean, we do provide a, a lot of support for our members. Um, again, I think it's coming back to people um, being valued. And one of the things that I think is important for professionals to do is to get the right level of accreditation uh, for themselves um, so that they have an, an external um, peer marched, marked be benchmark of their abilities, um, that we run a lot of um, online training uh, for people in terms of our masterclasses um, and our development um, webinars and um, those sort of things so that we're trying to equip people. And I think also it's about understanding um, their skill base as well. So our skills framework is really helpful uh, for members to be able to, to to look at that and understand where their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and uh, also we've got a knowledge framework as well, so people can sort of dip into that and, uh, and upskill themselves and everything. But there's a whole community thing there as well within the membership um, that uh, people can um, network. At the moment, it's virtually because of COVID, but we run branch meetings and uh, we have a very healthy branch structure where members can network with each other. But um, we're, we're, we're there we're there to support, definitely. Well, so certainly professionals should be asking for help if they need it. I think so, definitely. Because there is sometimes a bit of a macho culture in this industry. And so it's, it's, not, uh, it's not always accepted to say that you have an issue, you have a problem. But I think that that, that attitude is changing, um, is that there's far more um, discussed now about mental health issues and um, the fact that it's not seen as a, a weakness um, whereas previously by some people it possibly was. Um, I think that people are, are, are appreciating far more um, the, um, the, the, the perils of being burnt out. So employers are, are more likely to be sympathetic here? Again, you'll get good employers and bad employers. And I think that coming back to the fact that we have a skills shortage, the good employers and the ones that do value um, their, their employees um, and do demonstrate that they have good development paths and um, are supportive are the ones that people will gravitate to. So it will possibly make it worse for other organisations where they do not develop that culture. It's easy sometimes to pigeonhole this as a, an HR issue, uh, sort of health support type issue, rather than thinking of it as a business issue. But it is a business issue, isn't it? Because actually, if you don't deal with these things, you're going to cause... Uh, problems. If you've got stress security teams, your risk might actually increase as an organisation because mistakes will be made or projects not completed to the right level. And at the same time, as the business faces more risk, as, as it arguably is at the moment, that is increasing stress. So it becomes a vicious circle. Very much so. And uh, if you look at it just from a purely business point of view, that if you've got people that are on long term sick, uh, you're having to keep those jobs open, but you're still having to obviously support the, the, the employee at home. It's just not good business. And, I, and one of the things that uh, we 
need to do as a profession is to work more closely with the HR department to um, understand how we can support individuals. Uh, and it's one of the things that we're, we're working on is a number of guides at the moment uh, to help aligned um, areas within the business um, with understanding cyber and information security and um, where we need their help and where we can support them. Um, and um, we will be producing a guide on uh, on working with HR over the next uh, three or four months um, because it is important that um, HR understand and can support. What about the issue of the budget, though? Because it's very hard to avoid that and it does contribute to some of the issues that uh, we've highlighted. Uh, so in your statistics, you're saying that um, in, in half of organisations, the budget is rising at a lower rate than threat levels. Yes. And a further 8% are saying their budget is actually falling, uh, which considering what's happening you know, in terms of the threat landscape at the moment, suggests perhaps that despite what the government is saying, organisations like NCSC are saying, uh, industry groups are saying that security needs to be taken seriously, it's not being taken seriously enough. I, I think the problem is that there's a huge amount of pressure uh, on organisations and especially now we're going to go into this uh, what could be horrific um, financial downturn. I mean from our survey 64% of respondents said that their businesses simply were going to have to cope with fewer resources when necessary and 51% said that they would let routine or non-critical tasks slip. That's quite a, a chilling statement um, but what will probably happen is that people will prioritise, as we've already discussed, and that things will slip. Um, but what we have to try and do is to harness um, tools that will help us work smarter, um, prioritise. Um, this is where really engaging with um, everybody within the organisation to, to, to develop the security culture is so important because you need to have eyes and ears out there for you, um, that you need to make it everybody's issue, um, basically. Um, and it's, it's going to be hard. Um, it's going to be hard for organisations to argue for budget when there are going to be lots of other areas within the, the business asking, asking for the same thing and doing that in an environment where they're probably 20% or so cuts, 20, 20, 25% cuts uh, on budgets. It's going to be tough. Again, it depends on where your revenues are coming from, doesn't yeah. it? Because if you've, if you've shifted a lot to e-commerce, for example, then security may actually be more important than uh, in an industry which has not done so. Uh, but the security industry has made a lot of play and uh, organisations, firms have made quite a lot of play around the potential for AI to help here. Uh, but how realistic is that? Because AI projects that businesses have undertaken haven't always delivered the goods so far and it's almost a panacea for security to say well we're going to be able to rely on automation ai will help us out it will solve the skills shortage rather than tackling some of the the issues that you've highlighted in in this conversation but also uh, elsewhere in your reports such as diversity is ai to some extent putting a sticking plaster on a much bigger problem there's never ever going to be a silver bullet um i think that oh gosh i can't remember how many years i've been going to um infosec and seeing the latest shiny toy that's going to be able to sort out problems ai is a very very useful tool um but 
you have to remember that AI is going to be used by the bad guys as well as the good guys. Um, and uh, if you look at um, all of the automation things that uh, we've seen it a lot in the, the socks and so on, where you get loads and loads of alerts and things coming in, that what we need to be able to do is to be able to sort of discern um, how that that information is is used. So um, you, it, it's not a silver bullet. It it can be used to help things, but it is not a silver bullet. In fact, you could take that a step further because you need the skills to yeah. create the AI algorithms, to do the training for the machine learning and actually deploy that back into the business. Absolutely. Business. So unless you've got AI skilled yeah. people and security skilled people in the same room or same virtual environment together, you're not going to maximise the potential of it at all. No, and I think that's the thing. It can be very dangerous because you're trying to utilise something. And um, if you if you look at um, sort of the machine learning of of uh, it'll take patterns of from the data that it's actually provided with. So um, it it will look at the data that it sees and may not be taking into account other factors. So it can be quite dangerous under those circumstances. So it needs to be used in. Um, sophisticated hands basically so that it's it's uh used sensibly and it it needs to be it's again it's collaborative isn't it it's working with the business and understanding you know how how we use these tools and certainly where ai has been successful it's been small projects that have proved their their use and then trying to scale up from there so solving a particular usually a quite tightly bounded problem seems to work reasonably well. So I could see that transferring across into security. Is that something mm. that you're seeing? Um, I, I, not personally, haven't seen that much of it at a first-hand um, uh, stance, but um, I, I agree with your, your thinking on that completely, is that you need to, you need to understand these things um, on, a, on a niche market. Um, I mean, there's the old say, saying of garbage in, garbage out, is that um, you, you've got to understand the problem uh, that you're trying to fix with AI and make sure that the way that you're applying it fixes the problem rather than just is another shiny tool. So looking then forward, what would you suggest that CISOs and other business leaders need to do to ensure the the health and efficiency of their IT security teams to ensure that they are affected and not held back by um, overwork, burnouts and uh, other mental health issues which are being generated and potentially might be a lot more acute in the uh, the situation that we find ourselves in and have been in for the last few months, where certainly, um, you know, a lot of uh, public data is suggesting that people's mental health has taken something of a knock. And is there something that managers can do practically to help their teams to identify problems and uh, make sure that they're getting the best from their people? Because ultimately, this is a people business, not a technology business. It is a people business, and it's really all about um, effectively managing people um, so that they 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 can put their hand up to say, yes, you know, that I'm struggling at the moment. Talking is an incredibly powerful um, tool, really, is that we do need to keep talking to each other and understanding where uh, where people are burning out. Um, I think that risk management comes into this immeasurably um, is that we need to focus activities on the key areas um, so that we're not wasting time um, on, on things that are low level, um, is that we need to make sure that we can try and draw other people in to help us uh, where necessary. So it's it's managing the whole problem holistically. Uh, is the the key to this um, 
rather than just sort of saying, oh, we'll do, you know, one thing or we'll do another. It's it's understanding the teams and, and for them to be, be able to actually reach out and say, yes, you know, I'm struggling at this point. And a lot of a lot of organisations do do that already. So actually, at an individual level, a team level or an organisational level, it's knowing when to ask for help. Yes, and being able to know that you will be listened to. Amanda Finch from the Chartered Institute of Information Security. Thank you very much. Thank you. Amanda Finch from the Chartered Institute of Information Security on the importance for CISOs of ensuring that the mental health of IT security teams is kept high on the agenda and that security teams get the right support and help so they can help the business. That's all, though, for this episode of Security Insights. You can subscribe to the series and listen to past episodes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Google Podcasts. I hope that you'll join us for the next episode. Meanwhile, thank you for listening.